I'm Alexander Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the best-selling book, Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's President's Day show, we open with another Ukraine-Russia war hype update. Russian-backed forces slightly increased the shelling of a region of Ukraine that's not Kiev, yet the American media and NATO and the Big Joey administration all consider this clear-cut evidence that Putin is about to try to take Kiev. Uh, Then, our geriatric president announced that he would meet with Putin with very few, in fact, only one pre-existing condition, that he not invade Ukraine before they meet. This, no doubt, allows Putin to ask all sorts of things that he wasn't otherwise going to get. But there's only one problem. As we learn later during the live show, Putin might not even be interested in meeting with Biden anyway. Let's go, Brandon. The biggest story in the world is still the Canada trucker convoy, which was crushed by police over the weekend. Justin Trudeau's authoritarian streak is wide, and it was on full display with video surfacing of a woman getting stomped on literally by a horse cop. Yikes. But perhaps even scarier than the physical violence against peaceful protesters is that debanking has begun, with law enforcement working with financial institutions to target the truckers and their sympathizers with getting them removed from their own money and their own bank accounts. I explain it in the opening. Male swimmer Leah Thomas, a big cheater, broke several more Ivy League records over the weekend. Uh, No one who believes in science cared enough to stop it. Bill Gates acknowledged that Omicron is kind of, sort of, a little bit like a vaccine for countless millions of Americans. Can Can we end the mandates now? And the left is on the run slightly in a couple key areas in American life at this time. I give you the slightly positive news in the opening segment as well. Two guests today. First, the one and only Francis Martell, our world editor of Breitbart News, who gives us another crucial and important update on the happenings in both Canada and Russia, both the news and the analysis. And then we explain how China dunked on America at the genocide games by winning more gold medals than we did. Thanks, Eileen Gu. Then... As it is President's Day, as we're recording this, combat historian Patrick K. O'Donnell joins us to get a brief, totally apolitical history lesson on George Washington, who grows in stature in my eyes every time I learn more about him, and I did so on the show today. All that to come, but first, a word from our sponsors. Um, There is something happening that is pretty apparent to me, and I think is apparent to all of you guys who are listeners to the show that Vladimir Putin did not have any intention of invading Ukraine. And in fact, if you follow Russian media, as we do at Breitbart News, uh, there is uh, almost no chatter of Putin invading anything, even sort of lesser cities in Ukraine than Kiev. Yet in the Western world, there's constant talk of whether or not he is going to invade Kiev. Uh, Until recently... The Ukraine president, Vladimir Zelensky, was suggesting there's actually kind of a joke. Or as Joe Biden would say, is a joke, or maybe something like that. That's a joke, something like that, uh, that Putin would invade. And yet it feels like the entire Western world, meaning all of Europe and the United States, are preparing as though Putin is about to invade. So now it seems like what Putin is doing is he's shuffling around much more interesting types of tanks, much more interesting types of weapons. Um, it is the way Neil Monroe of Breitbart put it. He used a great word for it. He said exotic weapons. I like that. Tanks with special rockets. Tactical electronic warfare vehicles. And so now he's shuffling those around. 
and the whole world uh, is shivering. We're all shivering. So this is the way we've decided we will behave and we will deal with this issue. Even though the Russian ambassador and the Antonov is saying that there's no invasion into Ukraine that's coming. So he was on CBS Race Nation, says it's not happening. Uh, Russian media certainly suggesting it's not happening, and uh, the Zelensky has suggested it's not happening, though he did seem quite a bit more alarmed this weekend than I think he was prior to this weekend. Because you've got people like the NATO chief, a guy named Stoltenberg, who is saying Russia is preparing for an invasion of Ukraine, flat out. And you've got Boris Johnson, one of the biggest disappointments in the world, who has said flat out, invasion's coming. You've got headlines coming out of the BBC suggesting that Russia is planning the biggest war in Europe since 1945. So that's what the Western press is doing. Both Russian and Ukraine press are suggesting that it's actually the Western press that's fanning the flames of all this. And many of you who are now pretty steeped, we're now at least a half a decade into the uh, discussion of the military-industrial complex. That was one of the things that I grew up thinking must be some sort of a hoax, and then I got to Washington and realized it is one of the most real things that is happening in our country is the desire from all of the people who get rich and powerful off of war to want there to be wars. Especially when America wins all the battles. And we do have this phenomenon where we don't win wars anymore, but we do win battles. Militarily, we're so strong, we win all the battles. But for whatever reason, we can't get across the finish line for the entire war. So, um, and when you know who is in charge of our foreign policy is the exact types of people who have made money traditionally and gotten powerful when uh, America is fighting around the world, particularly when there is so much crazy stuff going on stateside and in this hemisphere that trying to convince America the thing we care about most is what Vladimir Putin is doing with his tanks on the border with Ukraine is quite, quite a bit convenient. So now all of a sudden we learned last night that Joe Biden has canceled a trip to Delaware which uh, humorously uh, that we were all chuckling at Breitbart that the uh, permanent White House press pool was already in Delaware. So, which means one of our reporters at Breitbart would have certainly been in Delaware aside from the fact that the establishment colludes to make sure Breitbart doesn't have permanent press credentials. <laughs> which I whined about on last week's show. I guess this is a, a, a slight benefit of it. We didn't have to humiliatingly send someone to Delaware to have them come home. So he wasn't going to go. Because he's now going to prepare to meet with Putin, which he says he will do in a summit so long as Putin does not invade Ukraine in the process. Well, Putin was not planning on invading Ukraine. But who knows what Putin's thinking now? Maybe he's saying, hey, well, maybe, wait a minute. Maybe invasion doesn't sound like such a bad idea. In fact, I love invasions. We haven't done one in a long time. So what's happening now is you're seeing a slight uptick in shelling. Um, by groups who are Russian-backed rebels. That is a minor, the minorest of escalations. And it's got the whole world shivering. And now Putin's got himself a summit, a one-on-one with the most powerful man in the world, like it or lump it, mostly lump it, Big Joey the Biden. And now Putin's going to show up, and I got a feeling he's going to have a list of demands. So, 
Putin probably wasn't interested in invading. The West kept insisting he was going to invade. Now he's got a summit where he'll probably act like he's thinking about invading. But he might not do it if he gets a few concessions. Concessions we never would have had to have given him. So assuming this is exactly what goes down when Big Joey and Putin meet, maybe Big Joey is smarter than he looks and he won't give away much. But let's say he gives away something. Then where does that put us? Well, Putin could certainly declare victory with getting some concessions. Big Joey could come back and declare victory because he stopped Big Bad Putin from going to war. Which, last I checked, Trump stopped Big Bad Putin from going to war too for four years. But I digress, I guess, slightly. And then in a few months, or weeks even, maybe a year, who's to say... Putin won't feel like going to war then. In the meantime, what are we doing in the United States if a war really did break out? Working on our CRT and our military. You know, working on whether or not uh, there's too much white rage in our ranks. Because we're increasingly unserious people. We've got geniuses like really tough guy Senator Lankford. Republican on Fox News saying Biden needs to meet Putin with strength or he'll get rolled over. That's true. Yeah, sure. But why is meeting even happening? If Big Joey wasn't such a colossal joke, we would be outraged that we that this that we got suckered in this meeting, this setup, where the only precondition for Putin to get a one-on-one to bend the ear of the President of the United States and ask for stuff which is what goes down with these meetings. And last I checked, the United States has a bunch of money and a bunch of power. Plenty of things we could give a guy like Putin. Never would have happened if our uh, stupid media was so focused on trying to wag the dog for Big Joey. And Big Joey had such a bad agenda going that he had to do anything desperately try to get something uh, into our brains that, um, uh, other than the rest of what's happening in this continent right now. And the reason why I say continent, because the biggest story of the day continues to be what's happening in Canada, not what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. Not to say that couldn't change. I always uh, offer the caveat, if a real war breaks out, Putin really does decide to do it, and I've been 180 degrees wrong this whole time, which is, of course, a possibility, then that will become a huge story. But for now, I'm much more concerned about pics and videos surfacing of Canadian cops stun gunning, clubs, marching through streets, police horses trampling protesters, a hundred arrested. Open discussion of the protesters getting uh, online targeted for cancellation. Truly casual fascism now emerging in Canada under Justin Trudeau. We were warned for so long that the fascist was actually Donald Trump. Donald Trump, he was a real fascist in, in this hemisphere. Heavily armed police descending on Canadian truckers who simply don't like the idea of mandates. And the passports and the mandates, that's it. That's all they want. Which is increasingly a reasonable position. It's a position that's actually shared, basically by anyone who is not a pure totalitarian because the science now backs it.
a stunning clip surfaced over the weekend of Bill Gates saying, quote, sadly, the virus itself, Omicron, is a vaccine and it's done a better job than we have with with vaccines. Sadly. Sadly, Omicron is a type of vaccine, which is precisely what a lot of people were saying a few months ago when Omicron was emerging because it was affecting a lot of people. They were getting sick, but they weren't dying at the rate, even though they were dying at a very high rate, but not at the rate of some of the previous variants, especially Delta. And as far as we know, it's a little premature to tell, but it seems to be providing natural immunity for whatever other variants are likely to emerge. And we are likely, of course, to get new variants. Um, I mentioned on the show last week that I spoke to a very pro-vaccine doctor who I've been talking to throughout the pandemic who said flat out, if you just if you just got the virus, and so many of us did, myself included, in January, you don't need any boosters anytime soon. There's your booster. Done. So this is a person who's been one of my top pro-vaccine people that I've spoken to. And for your information, of course, I've spoken to people across the spectrum in terms of their opinion on vaccines. This is a person maybe the most extremely pro-vaccine of the group. Flat out said, if you just got it, you're good for a while. Bill Gates says this. He adds, sadly, which is incredibly creepy. So why do we got mandates going on? So much of the world now is good for a while. They should be allowed to work. They should be allowed to drive truck. Socially distance in their truck to deliver essential goods and services to the world. Should not be a problem. Yet it is a problem. And the footage was pretty harrowing. The images, I mean, just the dramatic, the the, the dramatic stands these police were taking in Canada, beating people down. It's not a great look for police. And I know that this show is a a law enforcement, pro-law enforcement show by and large. And we've done so much to advocate on behalf of cops, particularly ever since Kaepernick surfaced. And the defund the police and the BLM stuff started surfacing. But those of you who were online over the weekend, you couldn't have avoided the images and the footage. Uh, if you have an explanation or a discussion of it as a law enforcement, pro-law enforcement uh, person, you are invited to 866-95-PATRIOT. I would like to get your take on that. But even scarier to me is the open suggestion that people who continue to be a part of these protests in Canada will have their information um, shared with authorities and ultimately shared with banks, debanking. That's coming. All that's coming right now. It's happening right now. Under Justin Trudeau, a guy who is very sympathetic to authoritarians. His family has a deep history with communist China. He's been a deep admirer of communist China. And this is something that um, Peter Schweitzer just covered in his book, Red Handed, which has been the number one best-selling book, according to the, even the New York Times, for the last three weeks, which is the first time for Peter that's happened, which is very cool. It also reminds you that there's lots of scary people out there who, whether they're conscientious of it or not, they've been so unbelievably heavily influenced by places like China. Ottawa Police Twitter. If you're involved in this protest, we will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. 
Thanks, Ottawa cops. I'm sure it's some bureaucrat typing that out. I don't doubt it. Just terrible look for law enforcement. Terrible. And we can't speak for the Canadian Mounties, but uh, I, I can say that it's not a great look for cops overall. In a moment where cops need to have uh, people support. All right, uh, that's not all the big stories over the weekend. There are some other massive stories that were out there. And um, I would say the next biggest one is the big man on campus, Leah Thomas, slaughtering records throughout the Ivy League's women championships. Remember, there's a new rule put in place to prevent a man with armpit hair. Not to say women don't have it technically, but a man who wears armpit hair to... um, not just win Ivy League swimming championships, but to break records in the process. Tour de farce was one way we described it at Breitbart. Uh, winning by a huge leap, leaps and bounds throughout the weekend's festivities. I think had records on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All had all-time records. Friday night, Thomas won the 200-meter freestyle, winning by two and a half seconds, set a new record. And that was, um, a, there's another record I think that Thomas broke on Thursday because it's a man swimming as a woman, so, which is cheating, flat out cheating. This is some bull SHIT fans were blasting the Ivy League and the NCAA for allowing this to happen. And so many people, so many smiling faces, some of them masked absurdly, clapping along and smiling. Uh, one, one, one race Thomas did on Thursday by seven seconds, another record-breaking race. You feel happy about that? Dylan Gwynn put it at Breitbart yesterday. It was another day ending in Y, which means the transgender UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas must have broken another Ivy League women's record. And that's exactly what happened. So we told you about Thursday and Friday, and on Saturday, yet another female athlete who dedicated her life to her sport was unceremoniously erased from the record books as Leah Thomas, a man identifying as a woman, took first place in the 100-meter race, victory the third of, of the meet for him along with wins in the 200-meter and the 500-meter, made for a three first, three first place finishes. You guys feel good in the Ivy League? How about all of you who sent your kids there or continue to send your kids to Ivy League school for, to the tune of sixty grand a year, plus expenses? Don't forget that. The expenses are big. Other interesting stories. Alleged Epstein pimp John Luke Brunel is discovered hanged in a French prison cell. The beat goes on on that one as well. Security cameras were reportedly not working. So it might suggest that that's called getting Epstein. Or getting suicided. Hollywood celebrities are uh, supported the BLM fund that bailed out Quintez Brown. Quintez Brown was the person I talked to you about who is anti-gun, pro-Black Lives Matter, and attempted to assassinate a Louisville mayoral candidate. The fund that bailed out Brown, the Louisville Community Bail Fund, tied to Black Lives Matter, 
In fact, it's overseen by Black Lives Matter Louisville. Uh, got donations from ABC's Scandal star Kerry Washington, actress and singer Janelle Monet, Schitt's Creek actor Dan Levy, Jeopardy host Mayim Bialik, and Hamilton star and director of pretty much every movie that they that they put out now, Lin Manuel Miranda. Will all these people suffer in their careers at all? Does the cancel mob apply in this case? Or does the cancel mob only apply to people who say a man is a man or a woman is a woman, etc.? You pay for a fund that bails out a guy who attempts to assassinate people in the name of Black Lives Matter. They're so backwards. Up is down in this country at this time. There are some minor blips of hope um, facing a backlash and recall effort. Uh, George Gascon, who is Los Angeles district attorney, is the worst district attorney in the history of the country. Um, who is responsible more than any individual other than perhaps Mayor Garcetti, the worst mayor in the country by a mile, um, has uh, overseen the just degradation of the city of Los Angeles at a rapid rate. And the seat was bought by George Soros. He's facing a recall effort. And I know it's pretty robust because you don't have a lot of family out there in L.A. County. Uh, he's faced criticism recently for, among other things, the sentencing of a 26-year-old sex offender for to juvenile prison for a violent assault of a 10-year-old. I brought you that story on the show. That was just the latest in a line of jailbreak efforts. And Democrats, of course, don't denounce Gascon, who is endorsed by the aforementioned Garcetti and others. And... Um, Garcetti switched a endorsement he had made to from Jackie Lacey, who was the incumbent, who was a black woman, the first to hold that job, and switched to Gascon, a white man, because he was more woke. And L.A. has gotten exactly what they've deserved there, but luckily some people are standing up. That's a good thing. Will it be enough? Probably not. We know that goes. But we still need to have your voices heard no matter what. Even if you know the fight is not necessarily winnable, it can be inspiring as so many stories have told us throughout history. Queen Elizabeth II, 95, who's been vaccinated three times, is positive for coronavirus. Prayers with her in her country. Big moment for the vaccine crowd, the pro-vaccine crowd. And I largely consider myself part of that group. But um, if the Queen's fine, it'll be a great look for the vaccines. If the Queen is not fine, it'll be a very bad look. She's got three jabs, so we'll be uh, awaiting to see how she is there and there have already been reports recently that keep popping up that she is not in uh, particularly great health a federal appeals court ruled that the united uh, ruled that united airlines vaccine mandate coerced employees to violate religious convictions no kidding Catherine hamilton writes to breitbart news that a federal appeals uh, appeals court said a further review of the United Airlines coronavirus vaccine mandate is necessary because it was coercive and would in reverse a lower court ruling. Three judge panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals of the Fifth, Fifth Circuit ruled two to one to return the issue to the district judge, Mark Pittman, who previously rejected employees' request for a preliminary injunction. In his opinion, Pittman was sympathetic to employees 
but said he was bound by court precedent. He decided the request because employees, I'm sorry, declined the request because employees could not prove irreparable harm. One of four variables which need to be satisfied in court in order for a judge to issue an injunction and preserve the status quo during litigation. However, federal judges Andy Oldman and Jennifer Elrod reversed Pittman's ruling, pointing out the rather unique, unique nature of the case because the harm is ongoing and cannot be remedied later. Good point. So again, the mandates are truly evil and we know where they go. And everyone on the right who ruled that once we start having things like this, it's just going to, it's going to lead to stuff like uh, police beating people down the street and trampling people and then threatening them to uh, basically have financial institutions blacklist them like we're, what we're seeing up in Canada. All that's been proven true. New York City has deployed cameras with microphones to ticket loud cars. So uh, the, add this to the latest example of how Eric Adams know better than de Blasio, proving to be uh, almost worse because there's just something about being a disappointment, which is worse. We knew Bill de Blasio was bad every second that he was in there. But to have the surveillance state increase, people who are drawn to power, unfortunately, are constantly looking for ways to usurp more power and to use it against the citizens, thinking they provide the solutions. This is a huge problem in human nature. The people who are drawn to power are uh, not designed to use it judiciously. They're de designed to use it in a self-aggrandizing way. Of all the issues facing New York City right now, do you think a cameras with microphones ticket loud cars is high on there? I'm a big fan of loud cars. But New York City is totally unappealing right now. It's crime-ridden. It's filthy. My, my last New York City trip was just prior to the pandemic. I have no desire to go back ever. It was already too expensive. And it was getting filthier by the minute. It's getting uh, more crime stories every day at Breitbart. Just stunning the amount of crime we report. And so many of it is from New York City. Many of the victims black, by the way which doesn't matter so long as the perps are black sometimes for whatever reason. It matters to us at Breitbart. It doesn't matter to everyone in the media. And now you got your robots policing the loud cars. Our first guest today is Francis Martel, our international news editor who offers us terrific clarity about who the bad guys are on the world stage, who are the good guys, what is the real news? What is the fake news? And we focus, of course, mostly on the Russia-Ukraine situation, plus the Canadian truckers. We also touch on the Beijing genocide games as well, which wrapped up all that to come in the interview. It, it seems like the media is desperately trying to get us into a massive world war. They keep insisting that things at the Russian-Ukraine border are, are worse than they are. And I, I'm afraid we're going to move towards a place where they're going to start actually giving Vladimir Putin some ideas because they're just giving him all this free leverage um, and uh, freaking everyone out and doing exactly what, you know, Putin couldn't pay for this type of PR. But what are the details? What are the truth? What's changed in the last few days, if anything? 
Sure. Um, so, first of all, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, so what seems to have changed is just there's a little bit of an escalation in the ongoing war in Donbass, which is eastern Ukraine. Um, there's been some new shelling, some exchanges of fire. Um, but the thing that's really important here to note is that this has been going on for eight years. There are escalations, and then there are drawdowns, and then there are ceasefires. The ceasefires get violated, and we go back to war. Um, this is typical. Um, so there's been, you know, a mild escalation. And then the big thing that happened this weekend was the Munich Security Conference where uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky came out and said, um, you know, he just condemned everybody for um, – coming out and talking about this war panic and then doing nothing. He pointed out that the current war in Donbass is longer than World War II. So for everybody talking about this imminent war that's going to happen, that war has already been happening longer than World War II happened. Um, that was the point that he made. He pointed out the selfishness of the Ukrainian leaders. He used the word selfishness. Um, just a really uh, intense speech condemning all of this. And of course, it got no coverage in American media. You know, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't hear about it. Um, but that's the, that's the situation right now. It's, you know, same old, same old, but it's very depressing for Ukrainians because at this point, they're just used to it. There's no more fear of war because the war has been going on for so long that it's just part of daily life for them. What's the Russian media saying right now? Um, they're basically declaring victory, um, uh, like that, the, you know, the Russians are the level-headed ones that are using diplomacy, while uh, Biden and Kamala Harris are panicking, and they look like, you know, the, the JV team, to use Obama terminology. Um, they're trying to position themselves as, like, the level-headed and reasonable parties here. And, of course, they don't, they claim that they have nothing to do with the Donbass war. They say that that's a civil war. There's sure. extensive evidence to prove that's a lie. But that's their stance is we have no, there is a war ongoing. We have nothing to do with it. And we have no real interest in invasion. It's these crazy people trying to distract from their bad governing that is causing all this panic. What is the difference between bombing and shelling for people who are unfamiliar? Um, well, shelling, I think, is more um, dis like there's no specific target. It's just you just you know, throw projectiles in a general direction. Bombing, if you use the term, I think means more there is a target that is specific and you blow it up. So it's, there is some shelling going on in Donbass. What does that have to do with Putin taking Kiev, you know, with tanks and bombs and uh, just a total hostile World War Seven style takeover? Well, there would be no shelling if Putin didn't provide the weapons for the shelling. Um, these these alleged separatist groups that are independent, these are Russian proxies. You know, the little green men is sort of the informal term. So that um, definitely has to do with Putin. Um, without Russian weapons, there's no war in Donbass, period. Um, that has nothing to do with Kiev. Kiev is hundreds of miles from Donbass. Um, it's peaceful. There's there's nothing to, to use Zelensky's words. There are no tanks on the streets in Kiev. And Zelensky invited Biden to Kiev last week and said, please come here as soon as possible so people can see that nothing is happening here. And uh, Biden ignored that invitation. Didn't even decline it, just pretended it never happened. Uh, why would Biden do that? 
uh, he has no respect for Zelensky. Um, and the, the background to this is Zelensky's a sitcom actor. Um, he became president because people got so fed up with the establishment that they voted for an actor who played the president on TV. Um, Zelensky is not part of the Ukrainian establishment that has a long and, and deep ties with Hunter Biden and the Biden family. So he's an outsider, and he has no respect from the White House. Um, and that's been proven time and time again. Uh, Biden keeps trying to set up meetings with Putin and ignoring Zelensky, and th- that sends the message that Russia is our ally and Ukraine is our enemy. So, you know, it's it's upside down completely. It's completely upside down, especially considering how we were told that, you know, even people like you and I, Francis, who have never been pro-Russian for a minute, uh, have been, always been Russian stooges because... Uh, our our website was largely you know read by pro-Trump people, so that makes us the, so we're Putin's puppets. You know we've been reporting accurately on Russia, including the horrible stuff they're doing for years. Uh, nothing counts anymore, and this is the thing that is disturbing to me: is that Zelensky says that there's no war coming. Even Russian media doesn't act like there's a war coming, and yet we're being NATO and Joe Biden are insisting there's a war that's about to start. What are they basing it off of? Are they providing any evidence? And assuming they're not providing evidence, what's really in it for them to keep insisting wars is about to begin? Well, the evidence is that there are over 100,000 Russian troops uh, near the Ukrainian border. Um, the Ukrainian government's response to this is they've been there the whole time. There were more of them in, in this time in 2021 than there are now, and nobody cared last year, and they didn't do anything last year. Um, they have annual military exercises. It's what they do. Um, so that's the evidence is that these troops are here, and then there's all this sort of anonymous gossip that shows up in places like Politico and CNN, where persons familiar, whatever that means, say that there's that Putin has chosen a date for invading. Um, that's the other big evidence here is the persons familiar keep uh, pushing this. Um, what's in it for them? You know, I don't know. Uh, Harris was in Munich this weekend, and she said that Americans need to prepare to make sacrifices to go to war in Ukraine's name, which is a completely insane statement. You know, we, we're already, you know, we know what gas prices are. We go to the grocery store. Uh, the Biden administration has demanded enough sacrifices, and now Harris is telling us that because of this impending war that is going to begin eight years ago, Americans have to sacrifice again. Um, and I think it's just, you know, they're trying to distract from their failures they're trying to make it seem like they first they want to look like the adults in the room and this yes. they think how's that going yeah 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 exactly not great. not great but they think that this is going to make them look better than talking about domestic issues which might actually sadly be true um and the other thing seems to be they're trying to prepare americans for that failure and they're trying to find someone else to blame on it and and the blame is apparently on putin's hands maybe zelensky's hands um you know and it's it's very <laughs> disrespectful to to zelensky really yeah it certainly is, is again francis martell's with us she's our international editor and francis the i i think that um he, I think that one thing that you've identified that it came up earlier in the broadcast as well <clears throat> for people who are listening on the SiriusXM um, show is how people at CNN who've gotten so many things wrong internationally over the years continue to be trusted to report on this stuff and you, they use anonymous sources to do it. And it's the same people who had, you know, pushed the PP dossier, et cetera, and they had done it totally with a straight face. 
these are the top reporters now covering this issue and there are whether and it's unbeknownst to many americans it's still we're getting fed information from people who have an agenda and have no sense of judgment whatsoever because there are never any consequences for these people they just get promoted every time they get this stuff wrong absolutely and there's um there's a complacency among a lot of people in the American public, I hate to say, who keep watching CNN and they keep watching media. And this is a a smaller percentage every time. I mean, if you look at the ratings, I'm not saying that people aren't walking away, but there's still a core group of people who get their news from these sources and they don't bother to, you know, you have the internet. You can Google presidency of Ukraine and just read statements from the president of Ukraine. They're right there. Um, You know, if you don't want to trust Breitbart because you're a liberal, you can Google president of Ukraine. And no one does that. They just watch CNN. They watch MSNBC. Um, Fox, honestly, has had some stuff that is weirdly pro-Putin that I don't totally understand. You know, you can, thanks to the Internet, thanks to even people like us, we provide all the links. If you don't trust us, you can read and and click the links and go read the the primary source. The information is there for you. Um, And I think... People are increasingly aware of this, and it's going to end up backfiring tremendously to the Biden administration to be pushing this, you know, fake imminent war uh, when the real war is there and we can all see it. And we've all been seeing it for a decade. Francis, are are you of the mind that as as I am, that this is all benefiting Putin in a way? Uh, It seems like if I was Putin, I would love for the American media to behave exactly the way they're behaving. Yes, because Russia is not a significant threat to the United States. It's not on our level. It's a middling country. It has a horrible economy. It doesn't have the power to do the things that American media want you to think that it does. Um, Its intelligence services are terrible. Uh, Public morale is on the floor. Nobody's innovating anything in Russia. It's not, you know, it's not on the level of a... a power that can rival the United States. So this makes it look like Putin is, you know, Xi Jinping or or Biden. It makes him look like the head of a country that is a sizable world power and that is not what the what modern Russia is. Um, So, of course, it benefits him to look like he's on par with the major powers when he's presiding over this, you know, sad, (laughs) basically barely influential state that the best they can do is, you know, he can scare Latvia, he can scare Georgia, but, but he's not in charge of a major world power. And if you watch any American corporate media, you will not see that reality. Uh, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, just told uh, the public on the Today Show that Russia could invade Ukraine in hours. Uh, What will happen if that doesn't happen, Francis? Nothing, because they said they were going to invade on February 16th. Uh, Zelensky turned it into a national holiday through a party to to shove it in their faces and make fun of them, and nothing happened. Um, So what's going to end up happening is probably the invasion won't happen in hours, and then hours later, uh, if not, Sullivan Blinken will come out and say, you know, the Russian invasion is imminent. Um, And Zelensky will be hopping mad in a corner yelling about how the invasion happened eight years ago, and no one, you know... No corporate media will cover that. Francis Martel, again, international editor for us at Brightport. Francis, let's talk about some other stuff. I, I want to bring up the Olympics, which I've not brought up today, which winded down. Um, I kind of want to get your perspective overall, but I, I have to bring something up that I uh, probably should have brought up earlier in the broadcast. But I, I was struck by the final medal count for the United States, I think, kind of. I guess they're kind of saying we got fourth or something. I think we got the fifth most medals, um, and I think we got... 
uh, something like the third or fourth most or gold medals. And we got fewer gold medals in China. So we were told, Francis, by Ted Cruz and others that the appropriate response to the genocide games was to go over and kick their butts. And we didn't do that. So, so we went over there and we did arguably worse than China. Russia had many more medals than we did. They didn't even have a country at the Olympics. Uh, and, they, and, and they were doping while they were there and they still got more medals than we did. I mean, it's just to add insult to injury. It's just one disgrace after the next and this is just the latest. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. You know, it's I would hope that that we performed poorly because our best athletes boycotted the Olympics, but that didn't happen. Our best athletes represented China at the Olympics. So great. Good job, guys. Um, It was really good for us to stand up for for the, the athletes and their right to a prestigious tournament over the rights of Uyghurs not to have their organs chopped off, chopped out you know, of their bodies. Um, it's, it's a disgrace. I hope that we remember not just the Democrats that came out like Jen Psaki with her little coffee mug celebrating the Olympics, but yeah. the Republicans, like you said, like Ted Cruz, like Donald Trump, who came out and said, we have to support the genocide Olympics because our poor athletes really need us to be there. Um, I don't think that should be forgiven. I won't forgive it. I hope people don't forget yeah, and as I've said, this is going to age very, very poorly, and this is a powerful message, I think, to a lot of people who generally like the Olympics and love competitive sports. And when I said that, this is not just something that is a one-off. This is something that will age very, very badly. I think that I think a lot of people kind of gave that some thought, that we, thanks to this thing called the Internet and places like Breitbart that document this stuff and it lives online, Uh, People will know who took the right stand here and who did not. And I think that that will dog people politically for quite some time. Uh, Francis, the biggest story in the world is, of course, Canada still. uh, What is the, the we've been through this quite a bit in the show to this point. But is there anything that happened over the weekend that really caught your eye that you really want to mention to the audience? And where do you think we are there? Yes, um, just the extreme police brutality and the fact that the the protesters have been extremely peaceful. The the police itself, you know, has recorded very few arrests prior to this weekend. And the fact that the protesters were there with their cell phones and they recorded um, the instances of brutality, the the video of, of the police officer on horseback trampling an elder woman. Um, The fact that we have video about this um, should be a big takeaway for everyone here, you know, um, and I think it should be a wake-up call to people who – see the the police brutality situation as a black and white issue you're either with the police or with your or you're with the criminals sometimes the criminals are the police sometimes the criminals are just criminals um we got to take these case by case um we have to you know meet sort of law enforcement where they are uphold the the officers that are doing a great job and out of respect for the officers that are doing a great job um be quick to condemn the ones that are brutalizing um because they they're not helping the good cops either um and that that goes internationally i think that's not just a canadian problem or an american problem um we really have to be case by case about how we treat issues with the police I opened the show making almost exactly that point, but I think you said it a little more crisply than I did. Uh, Francis, back to Russia, uh, because Joe Biden is probably going to meet with Putin, it appears. The only precondition, I guess, is is that uh, Putin can't invade Ukraine in the meantime. If you listen to Jake, Jake Sullivan, I guess even that one's not going to be met. I, I mean, it just seems like an opportunity for Putin to just ask for stuff he wasn't going to get otherwise. Uh, what do you think goes down at this meeting, assuming it happens? 
Well, I mean, the Russians already said they're, they're not planning any meetings. <laughs> so, um, wow. We, yeah, we've um, they they said that you know like mi- minutes ago, so you you didn't miss much. But um, the yeah, if it does happen, we had a similar meeting like this in June where um, Biden was just joking around with Putin, and it makes Putin look like he's again the president of a world power, which he is not. Um, so I think there would be no substantive. Um, benefits for either side from a conversation like that, but the soft power that Russia gains from having their leader stand there, um, you know, and, and by the way, the Democrats used to make this point very crisply and well when it was Donald Trump meeting with Kim Jong-un, saying that it was elevating Kim to the level of a world power leader. I agreed with that point, but where are they now when Biden keeps repeatedly meeting with Putin and doing the exact same thing? A total silence. Francis Martel, international editor of Fresh Breitbart News. Thanks, Francis, as always. Thank you so much. So this is President's Day as we're recording the podcast, and I reached out to producer Greg, and I said, well, what can we do to do something to honor President's Day, a holiday that I consider largely absurd? Uh, we used to honor Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, and now we just honor all the presidents, including you know, William Henry Harrison, who was president for a month, and Jimmy Carter, who was terrible and a George W. Bush and Bill Clinton and just Richard Nixon. I mean, the list goes on of mediocrities that we're honoring with this day. And he says, I know, let's reach out to PKO, Patrick K. O'Donnell, combat historian, regular guest on the broadcast and one of the most knowledgeable people about history uh, that we know. And he wanted to talk specifically about George Washington, who he regards as the best president, as do I. And he did bring in our brief time chatting today, he brought us some new information about our first and greatest president that you're going to love to hear and you'll feel very proud to be an American and walking in Washington's footsteps in the small ways that we do. All that to come, here it is. I wanted to just get a brief history lesson from you for the audience. What is President's Day all about? And I know we kind of used to have Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday, uh, and now we have this. I, I consider it kind of a monstrosity and an act of supreme disrespect to our good presidents, but... Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe there's something else to it I'm missing. Well, I mean, ostensibly, it's supposed to be about all the presidents of the United States. But in reality, it's about, in my opinion, our greatest president of the United States, and that is George Washington. It celebrates his birthday, which is on February 22nd, but it was later moved to the third Monday of February. Um, and, you know, this is about arguably our greatest president, the man that was indispensable to the revolution itself. Um, If we didn't have George Washington, the revolution wouldn't have worked. And in so many ways, George Washington is imbued in the revolution. His values, um, he helps translate the revolutionary ideas of the revolution, which are extraordinary. It's about freedom and liberty, which is, you know, at the time of, of 1776 is groundbreaking. And it's still as relevant today as it was then. But Washington helps translate those revolutionary ideals to, you know, not only the boardroom, but also the battlefield and how we conduct ourselves in war in an American way of war, which is incredibly important. How we treat prisoners of war, for instance, how we conduct ourselves. And, and this is exceptionally important. And, um, you know, George Washington is also the great innovator of the revolution. In so many ways, there's, you know, some of the first intelligence, use of intelligence, 
despised Washington pioneers that the Navy. You know, I wrote an article about, wow. you know, the um, the first use of the United States of America, which is one of his aides, Stephen Moylan. We had that article out this week at Breitbart. Um, but, you know, so many of these things that it, it's, it's Washington's idea to actually um, take to the water uh, and really form our, our, the origins of the U.S. Navy, which, you know, I've read in The Indispensables is really I think, the book that is the best-selling book that came out last year that it's an extraordinary story. It's about, you know, taking a fishing boat and repurposing it and going after the strongest Navy in the world. And we take out, you know, transport ships that are laden with gunpowder. This is spawned initially from what we think is Washington's idea, and the Navy grows. Um, but just so many of these things. But I think the thing that really resonates is his willingness to put his country first. And this is something that we need today more than ever. He puts aside, you know, petty partisanship and personal power and gain for the good of the country. And this is exemplified in his greatest act, which is after the war is over in 1783, at Annapolis, Maryland, the, the room still exists. It's, it, in my opinion, it's one of the greatest places in America that hardly anybody knows about. This is the Annapolis State House. It's here that Washington, who has the ability to be the dictator of the United States, has absolute power over the army and everything else, resigns and sets the tone and, and, and resigns and turns over this power to civilian authority. And, um, you know, he does it again as the first president. He only serves two terms. This is just an exceptionally – this is an incredible standard that is set of putting country first over self, which is, you know, something that's so important today. Yeah, it's very clear, Patrick. The I was asked kind of on the spot um, by a reporter a few years ago who my favorite president was, and I'd never really given it – thought and I kind of instinctually said Washington and I think as years have gone on this become more clear to me that's the case so how did we get to this point now where we don't have a holiday separating I'm sorry celebrating George Washington when it just seems like that's the consensus maybe get a few votes for Lincoln here and there but it just seems like everyone kind of agrees and we don't have a holiday for the, for this individual and it, it's a it, and instead, we have this thing called President's Day. I mean, hundreds of nations, if not, uh, you know, many dozens of nations have a president. Uh, it, it, I, what are we even celebrating? We should be celebrating George Washington. I, I think we should be celebrating George Washington because we wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for George Washington. As I mentioned, you know, at the start of the show, he was the indispensable man of the revolution. If we didn't have George Washington, we wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have won the Revolutionary War. And, and the thing is, I mean, many people will look back at the Revolutionary War as, as some sort of preordained thing. And the reality is in 1774, 1775, 1776, the United States was not very united at all. In fact, it was very deeply divided. And we were struggling with an internal civil war between loyalists and, you know, patriots. And those sides shifted um, based on battlefield success. And it was the president himself. It was it was the commander in chief, George Washington, that had a, a, a real impact on those battles um, personally, even.
for instance, at the Battle of Assunpeak Creek, um, I wrote an article in Breitbart called The Bridge That Saved America. And this is here. Here is a situation where Washington is inserting itself on the battlefield and changes the course of history. The British have to cross that bridge. And if they do, this is shortly after the Battle of, of uh, Trenton, they will split his army in half and destroy it. But he's there at that bridge and presiding over his men and with great personal bravery, his horse literally touches the side of the bridge, they say. Wow. And um, miraculously, bullets are flying, uh, musket balls, cannon fire, and somehow the commander-in-chief is not killed. It's a, you know, a miraculous. Uh, but they hold that bridge against all odds. And it sets up another thing that um, the Battle of Princeton, which is a, a day later, and a remarkable thing. Instead of retreating, he advances further to Princeton, and the paddle doesn't go well initially. And it's Washington himself that throws himself into the fray and leads his men and the army to victory. It's an incredible story. Um, but I, he's can, also a man that works sure. with alliances. He's the French. I mean, this is these are extraordinary skills. And then also with people that are trying to take him out internally. Uh, what I mean by that is politically or have his position of power. It's it, it's incredible, really, how how well uh, what a great leader that Washington is. And he never takes any money. I mean, he gets paid for his services in the sense he's reimbursed for his expenses, but he's never he's never paid a, a dollar for for of salary. Incredible. Patrick K. O'Donnell is with me, author of Washington's Immortals and the Indispensables, among many other good books. He also writes column for us at Breitbart. From time to time, the latest is the forgotten Irishman who coined the term the United States of America. An interesting read, uh, as well as a couple of the other uh, items you just touched on. Uh, Patrick, you mentioned earlier that we do have some eroding patriotism, I think, in the country at the moment. And it is something that we, I think we need to get back to very quickly, but it's hard to do these days. Uh, do you have any recommendations for us and maybe in the context of President's Day itself or what we could do to sort of commemorate the holiday? Um, and and I add a little patriotism to our life today. I think that the thing to do is is to is, I think our the important thing right now is the founders more than ever because they understood power and how to disperse it. And today, you know, we have situations where uh, people like or you know tech leaders, for instance, have overwhelming power. Um, and and the, the, uh, the understanding of power and how to disperse is something the, the founders really understood. So to reading about the, the, the founders and their struggles, especially the, the everyday Americans, um, I bring out in Washington's Immortals and also the Indispensables, I think that is really a powerful thing. Because can you imagine being um, just a, a carpenter or a farmer and, and basically sacrificing all of that? And maybe even your, your your wealth, your honor—well, not your honor, but your your life—in some cases, for for a cause or a nation that had yet to be born, and they did it against the greatest army and navy of the world at the time, and they also fought fellow Americans. It's an incredible story. So I think you know, looking back at our founding through our history, reading about it, also visiting these places. There's so much history here. In, in the United States, it's in plain sight that people don't even really know about. For instance, Trenton is loaded with history, but it, in many cases, like the bridge that I mentioned, there's hardly any plaques 
I mean, they're, 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 they're apparently coming, but I mean, it's just like, it's a, it's remarkable how much history we have in absolute plain sight. And, you know, the, the, our founding story is precious. It's, it's remarkable. It's extraordinary. And it's something that we can fall back upon. Um, you know, when we look at, you know, there's hard times now, but they had some really hard times as well. That's all for the show today. Thanks to producers Haley and Greg Eben. Thanks to Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics. And thanks to all of you for telling 10,000 friends and family members about the Breitbart News Daily Podcast and everything we do at Breitbart.com and the Breitbart News Network. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.